0: As I mentioned earlier, I've had on my heart for some time the subject of office, gift, and priesthood. Three distinct lines in the Scripture. And yet so often confounded in our uh, understanding of the Word of God. And in our practice, sometimes, too, those things are confounded. I don't want to appear to be a technician in the things of God. I don't think that's what we're looking for. But we are looking for help, aren't we? And we'd like to get those things straight. Now, just make this general. Normally, I like to read the Scriptures first. But I think in this particular case, it might be helpful to make a a general introductory remark about these three things. Office in Scripture is always connected with the local assembly. With the local assembly. The boundaries for the exercise of that office are the local assembly. Gift, on the other hand is to the entire body of Christ. It's born out in Ephesians chapter 4, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And there's no boundary of the local assembly for the exercise of gift. Gift is exercised wherever there's the body of Christ, or I might even go a little further, because in the case of the evangelist, while he keeps one foot, as Mr. McIntosh says, firmly planted in the assembly, the other end of the compass reaches out as far as it can. And so uh, evangelism goes even beyond the body of Christ, but the purpose of evangelism is that souls might be brought in and blessed and made members of the body of Christ. Priesthood is universal. I use an illustration. His sister standing by her dishwasher, loading the dishes into the dishwasher, and bursts forth with... Thou art the everlasting word, the Father's only Son. That's priesthood, beloved brethren. It's not confined to the assembly. There's an aspect of it that has to do with the assembly, in leading the assembly in priesthood. But it's not confined to the brothers, it's not confined to gift. It's every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a priest. Wonderful privilege to be priest. I think we'll start perhaps because that is, I think, best understood. We'll start with priesthood and then move quickly on to the other two. I don't know how far we're going to get, but we, I always try to start out and usually come far short. First Peter chapter two. Verses 5 and 9. Verses 5 and 9. Ye also, as lively or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up, Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, that's the first aspect of priesthood. Holy priests. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a holy priest. And every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is built up A living stone upon the foundation. Part of that house which is building. The Lord Jesus Christ being the head of the corner. And the purpose is to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, in the Old Testament, priesthood was limited to one tribe. And very early in the history of the church, there was an attempt to limit priesthood to a particular class, setting aside God's truth that all believers are priests. Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others in the time of the Reformation doctrinally took hold of The priesthood of all believers and taught it. But the superstructure that they were saddled with and never got free of just didn't let that truth get practiced in its practical aspects. And so a Protestant priesthood grew up, if you please. They never got free of the notion of a a special class to offer up the praise and sacrifice acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And it was not until the past century, I believe, when God brought out again with renewed force and within a scriptural structure, so to speak, the truth of the priesthood of all believers, and there was then that put into practice. But you know, brethren, we can slip away from it easily. I want you to just think about when you come together on the Lord's Day morning, do you remember that all of us are priests, or do you kind of in your mind relegate priesthood to a few brothers? It has nothing to do with gift, beloved. It's not a function of gift. In fact, I just want to pass on a remark of Mr. Kelly's that I very much enjoyed and which exercised me some years back. He says this, that those who are gifted in the assembly and accustomed to ministering the word might do well to step back and let other brothers exercise the priesthood, of course, always as led by the Spirit of God. But it's something that a brother can do who has no gift. I think especially of that sometimes as we gather together in a conference. And brethren, I think, look to a gifted brother to get up and give thanks for the bread at the conference. I don't say he shouldn't if he's exercised by the Spirit of God to do so. But my own exercise is, ever since I read that a comment of Mr. Kelly's, is that there's an awful lot of brethren whose priesthood might be something that really answers to the exercise of the saints, and yet they have no gift to get up and give a word. Now that's one side of priesthood, brethren, it's to offer up. Spiritual sacrifices. What are spiritual sacrifices? Well, it's in contrast to bringing a lamb or a sheep or uh, some other material offering that the Old Testament priesthood was occupied with. What do we bring? Christ has brought already that which has fully met all the requirements of a holy God with respect to our salvation. We cannot add to that. We cannot bring anything. In that sense, nothing in my hand I bring. But there is another important aspect, beloved brethren, that... We need to think about, and that is, let's look over at Hebrews, which may give us the last chapter of Hebrews. Very familiar verses. These verses we're going to look at. I think we'll see what the Spirit of God is talking about. Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, by whom? By the Lord Jesus Christ, by Him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God every first day of the week. Is that what it says? Did I read that right? No, continually, continually. I uh, had the privilege two years ago of making a trip, I think the first one I made with Bob Tony. I've been very fond of our brother for a long time, but the first time we went together on a trip, we went to Europe and traveled about 9,000 miles across Europe and back in three weeks, and uh, it was a, a, a grueling trip in some ways, but one I will never forget. About nine o'clock in the morning, we'd usually been on the road and had some breakfast and, and uh, we got a little ways down the highway and all of a sudden Bob would say, We haven't had a word of praise this morning, brother. And he'd begin, Thou art the everlasting word. And then that car would ring for uh, a half an hour or so with praise. Was that priesthood? Yes. Yes, just like the sister standing at the dishwasher and offering up praise. Acceptable to God? Yes, because it comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. By Him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Now he goes on and he amplifies that. He says, that is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. Now, I'm sure it includes giving thanks to his name. I'm sure that's a correct thought, but it's a broader thought. If you look at Mr. Darby's translation, you'll see it says confessing his name. That is, I believe, expressing before God all that that name means to us as taught by the Holy Spirit. Confessing his name. What a privilege, beloved brethren. Now, there's another side of it in verse 16 that we don't want to forget, and that is, you might say, to reach into the pocket. That's what communicating means. Communicating is sometimes we use, limit that very narrowly to verbal communication. It's not verbal communication only. It's passing something from one person to another, reaching out to another. And so here it includes reaching into one's pocket when there's need and communicating. For with such sacrifices, God is well. Least. I sometimes tell this story, and usually I don't. I don't like to make my wife squirm, but I use it as an illustration. She doesn't uh, uh, doesn't particularly like it, but I it, I found that so many brethren say that it it uh, strikes a bell with them that I feel free to pass it on. Let's suppose that I get up in the morning on the Lord's Day, and I end up with one sock about a half an hour before meeting. I can't find the other, and I say to her, I put two in the washer. How come only one came out? And my wife says, well, if you'd make sure you put them both in, instead of wrapped up in a trouser or something, you'd have them, and pretty soon we'd get going back and forth, and it's time to go to meeting, and neither one of us is in a good state of soul. We come into the meeting, and the Bible goes down in between us, and uh, she sits as far over to her side as I do to my side, and I can't be used by the Holy Spirit to lift up praise to the Lord in the assembly. My public priesthood is marred, isn't it? Never happens to you, Larry, I'm sure, but some of us it does. And uh, as the meeting goes on, the Spirit of God touches the heart. Pretty soon... Lean over and say, I'm sorry. Or she says it first. I'm sorry too. The Bible's removed from between us. And gradually, the Spirit of God tunes my heart to the praise that He is drawing forth from the assembly. Then About 20 minutes or 25 minutes into the meeting, I give out a hymn. Let's say number 213. And after the meeting, old auntie comes over and she says, Brother Dick, I was just praying the Lord at the beginning of the meeting that the Lord would put that on some brother's heart. Whose priesthood is more important Mine or hers? I submit hers. The Spirit of God lifted out of the heart of that dear sister. And I, because of hardness of heart and carelessness, I wasn't ready for the privilege. The Lord had to warm me up. Oh, beloved sister, your priesthood is so important, and it sets the tone of the assembly. It sets the tone of the assembly. Now there's another side of priesthood, and I want to notice that in the ninth verse of 1 Peter chapter 2. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, holy priests, to offer up sacrifices, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that doesn't mean odd. It really, the thought is a bought or owned people. People for a possession. Possession. Now, what's our royal priesthood for? That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, I'd like to appeal to Mr. Darby's translation. It's the excellencies, to show forth the excellencies. Oh, beloved, one aspect of our priesthood that we often forget about is That you and I have the privilege here in this world and everywhere we go to show forth the excellencies of the One who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's our royal priesthood. Sometimes it helps to bring it down to a practical I drive into the gas station. I'm clearly first, but somebody cuts me right off. Somebody in a hurry gets into the pump ahead of me. How do I act? Do I blow my horn and say, wait a minute, I was there first. Or do we show forth His excellencies in how we react to that situation? I go into the tax counselor's office to fill out my income tax. And he says to me, well, you know, you can just do a little shaving over here. And you can shave on this side. It isn't quite right, but everybody does it. And I say, not self-righteously, I say... Yes, my nature wants to do that, but I have a Savior who has bought me, and I belong to Him, and I can't do it. That's showing forth the excellencies of Him in every aspect of our lives. Ouch, that hurts, doesn't it? I don't mean to suggest anybody here has a done anything other than write on it but our hearts are that way. A dear brother that is in our assembly a Colombian brother had um, I didn't know it but he had bought a green card for $3,000. Do they do it? Yes they do it. Green card by the way if you don't know is what enables them to have a residence and work in the United States. And one morning he called me up. He had been exercised about it. And I went over to his house. And we sat there for two hours. He told me the situation. He says, you know, without that green card, I've got to go back to Colombia. And before I was saved, I was in jail in Colombia. And if I go back there, I'm going to be in jail or I stand a chance to be in jail the moment I land. I don't know what to do. So we went to the Lord and we asked him about it. Without my telling him what to do, at the end of the conversation he reached in his pocket and took that $3,000 green card, bent it in half and threw it in the garbage. I didn't ask him to. That's holy priesthood, beloved. Beloved. It's showing forth the excellencies of the Lord. He wouldn't have any part anymore with that card. I'm happy to tell you that the Lord gave him a legal one. Without any maneuvering, without any chicanery, I believe God saw that act of faith in that dear brother's heart. And then just the other day he said to me, you know, brother... Every year about this time I go through a fresh exercise. He said, I went for years cheating on my income tax. He said, but for five years the Lord has given me the grace to be able to sign that in His name. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brethren, being a holy priest is a practical thing. It touches everything in our lives. The world does all sorts of things that you and I cannot do because we represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to show forth His excellencies. He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And you and I have that privilege of being holy priests everywhere and at every time in our lives not confined to the assembly. There's a public aspect of it that has to do with the assembly, and only the males are, are the ones that offer publicly in the assembly. So many times my daughters have said to me in the years gone by, Dad, why is it? You know, what purpose is there in sisters coming to the meeting? We can't talk. We can't give out a hymn. We can't do this. We can't do that. Not that they wanted to, particularly. They were just wondering why. And I've tried to tell them each time, you don't know what an effect you have on the praise of the assembly. The state of the sisters, I believe, upholds the state of the assembly. Let's go on. I want to get into uh, office. Now, there are two offices in Scripture. That I see. I'd be glad to learn about any others. But in the sixth of Acts, we get the first of those. And just let me warn you about something, beloved. Ecclesiastical pretension is a subtle thing, and it gets into our hearts very easily. You say, Oh, my, look at that. He's a he's a servant in the assembly, but if I say deacon, if I use the Greek word, everybody says, "My, he was a deacon in the in the assembly, or a deacon in the Third Baptist Church, or whatever it is." Man likes titles, and God does not give. Even offices as titles to be worn. One of the things that offends my soul is to be down in some little town in Bolivia. The last time I was in Tarija, I saw two guys on bicycles with black suits pedaling along as fast as they can. A little badge on here, Elder So-and-So. I think about 19 or 20 years old at like that. Have a title, you know. And uh, people love that. The flesh likes that, beloved brethren. They like titles. But servant is its real meaning, and it's an office in the assembly. It's needed. And we're going to see how important it is. The Sixth of Acts. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, I just want to say a word about Grecians here. You must not think of some uh, people from Greece uh, who were of Greek descent. That isn't the point. These were Jews who had bought into or had become part of the Hellenist culture, the Greek culture. They were no longer in the Jewish culture. They had moved out of that. But the grace of God had reached both them and some of those who were brought up in the Jewish culture. All of them were Jews. Some were Greek Jews with a Greek culture, and others were Greek names and everything else that went with it, probably Greek customs. And the others were very... Definitely from the Jewish culture, from the Hebrew culture. And so there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. The daily deaconry, the daily service that was being done of giving out. Now what they did was they had tables and they put out food and other needs, I'm sure clothing and other things were put out for the widows. Wonderful thing to do. Money's such a cold thing sometimes, it's needed in our culture. But I think there's something nice about this thought of tables loaded with things that were distributed to needs. And I know Bob Tony, when he goes down in South America, often he buys a big sack of beans and some rice and some oil and some fundamental things that are needed in the with the, with the money the saints make available to them and it's distributed to the needy Now that's brethren a service and it's a needed service a necessary service but you know when you have two cultures in the same assembly and we're we're our local assembly back home, Has a little bit of that. We struggle with that. We have about one third of Spanish culture, and the other two thirds of us are gringos, and and uh, it it isn't always. you, You don't always remember that there are differences in culture, and sometimes it can erupt into grumbling. That's what murmuring is. It's grumbling in our modern terminology. And they were grumbling they were saying, look at that. Every time a Hebrew lady comes up there, just because she's from the, the strict Jewish background, she gets more and our widows are getting overlooked, these Greek widows. I suspect it doesn't say that they thought they were being overlooked. I think they actually were. I think they actually were. I think this, brethren, emphasizes, underlines why this service of deacon is important. Then the twelve, verse 2, called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Now, the multitude of the disciples, brethren, is not the apostles, it's not the gifted brethren. It's not the brothers' meeting, is it? They called the assembly together, really. The multitude of the disciples. And said, it isn't reasonable, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Look, the Lord has called us the apostles with a very special work, which is the foundation of the church. We are laying a foundation. We don't have the written word of God complete yet. I'm not saying they said all these things, but these are the reasons that they said these things. And we've got something far more important to attend to than being deacons in the assembly. So he says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. Look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I think there's the clue, beloved brethren. It's for business matters. It's for business matters. Buying brooms, deciding whether the meeting room should be purple or pink or whatever, Uh, I'm glad you didn't do either, but uh, those decisions are not apostolic decisions, are they? And they're a reflection, brethren, of what the brethren themselves want. You brethren put your money into this meeting room and how it was to be built and what was to be done with it is no business of the brethren in La Mirada. I'm being very blunt. I never heard that there was any desire to interfere, but uh, we just want to make it clear that that's the kind of thing we're talking about. And so he doesn't say, look for the nearest, uh, of course there was only the assembly in Jerusalem at this point, but he doesn't say, look to some other town and find a few good men that can come over and superintend. That's the way the denominations do it. They have a committee on architecture, In St. Louis, Missouri or something, and if you want to build a building, well, we'll send somebody out. We'll send a little money to help you, but we'll also send some brothers out that will kind of give you a little bit of influence as to how we want it done. What form of organization we want. That is not God's way. Look out from among you, brethren, the local assembly, seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, Now, remember that the size of the assembly in Jerusalem was enormous at this point. The number of men had become about 5,000. And this is after that, isn't it? And so who knows how many were part of that assembly. We don't have to have every brother involved in the decision about whether the carpet should be green or purple or whatever, or whether... We need long-wearing industrial carpet, or whether we need something else, or whether... The point is, beloved brethren, that this was a service, and a needed service, that was to be done by men appointed by the assembly. That's what a deacon is all about. And it means a service. Now, it's very interesting. This particular office was chosen. The person for this particular office was chosen by the assembly. The apostles ratified it. Remember, they were in a foundational time. And uh, I'm sure that... They said, all right, that's fine. Brother so-and-so is very, he's very uh, suitable for that. Yes, that's good. And so they appointed those seven men full of the Holy Ghost who may we may set over this business. We do not need to think, brethren, that the business matters of the assembly need to be touched by every hand in the assembly. As a lot of us, it'd be better if we never got involved in it at all. I don't mean we can't sit there and listen, but God has those that are full of the Holy Spirit. And if you look over in Timothy, you'll see that the deacons had qualifications that almost were to have qualifications that almost came up to the overseers in the assembly or bishops. So it's a very serious responsibility. You don't say, well, that's a carelessly living Christian. Uh, He doesn't know anything about the Bible, and better give him something to do. Let's put him in charge of the funds. Absolutely not, brethren. It was to be someone full of the Holy Ghost. In fact, one of them, within a couple of months or whatever, gave his life for the testimony. And so they were appointed. Now, if we were doing that in a worldly manner, and I've been part of arbitration in business, I know what it's all about. The aggrieved party chooses three. The other party chooses three, and together the six elect a seventh, to kind of make it an odd number. Not here. What grace? All... Seven were appointed by the, uh, out of the aggrieved party, out of the Hellenists. What grace on the part of the, the Hebrew Christians who would be willing to pick seven Greek culture brothers to take charge of this. They said, well... Brethren, if you feel we've been o- your widows have been overlooked, why don't you just the seven of you take that responsibility and you could look of look after it. That is what a deacon is all about, and it's only in the local assembly. It has nothing to do, because those who are thus appointed take care of the funds of this assembly or the goods of this assembly. And I believe it's very scriptural that God says, look out among you, those who do that. There's no thought of some senior pastor picking these men out. There's just this wonderful looking out among you those who are to be thus engaged, to do these services. Now, I'll just mention that while it says men here, and I believe it is men, it's men in contrast to women, it's not mankind or persons, while it is, there is also the thought in Scripture in Romans 16 of a deaconess. Phoebe, minister of the church, Where? In general, of the whole body of Christ? No, of the church in Sancria. And she's coming over to Rome, perhaps on some business or whatever, and she comes there, maybe even relocating there, but the apostle never suggests that she is to enter into that work there. It's likely that if she's moving there and she's been there a while that she's going to be the same useful Phoebe that she was. And her, she will be recognized as a deaconess also among the brethren in Rome. But who counts the collection here in Hemet? You have a couple of brothers that count the collection. Who does that? Any brother here that does it? Are they here? Tonight, Would you go to La Mirada on a visit and, and walk up and count the money there? Of course not. That service is performed for the local assembly and in the local assembly. Is it a reflection on your honesty that they don't invite you to count the money up in, in uh, La Mirada if you're visiting? Of course not. Of course not, brethren. It's a question of the responsibility that you have is to this assembly for their things. So the office of deacon is a local office. Notice that the apostles say plural. Men, seven men. I don't say it has to be seven men. There are some assemblies that don't even have seven men in them. I remember an assembly one time in the East where only one brother counted the collection. And uh, I'm sure he was very faithful in it. A brother came to live there and raised the question, wouldn't it be best if two counted that And, and... recorded it. The brother says, don't you trust me, brother? It's not a question of that. It's a question of public testimony. It's a question of of confidence that comes from the testimony of two. And the devil has been able to get a hold of men, even in that respected position of deacon, And they've ended up being dishonest. Now there's a second office. I told you I wasn't going to get into gift tonight, but uh, we're going to look at the second office. Let's go to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14. And we're going to have to treat this very hurriedly, but... You know, just, I want to stir up perhaps exercise and your part to to further look into the matter. Acts 14 and verse uh, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught and had taught many, they returned. Notice the next word. What's the next word? They returned again. And you like us like a double... I think the Spirit of God is emphasizing this for a reason. Paul did not appoint elders on his first visit. Why? They were novices, and the Word of God says not a novice. And so, but doesn't the work need to be done? Yes, and we'll look at that in a moment. But... He did not appoint elders. So what did He do? He returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, etc. Verse 23, And when they had ordained them a bishop over the region, is that what it says? No. Elders, plural, in every Assembly, elders in every assembly, who appointed them the assembly? No. No. It is not God's principle ever that authority comes up from beneath. It's very good politics and very patriotic to say that the right to govern is derived from the consent of the governed, but that's not God's principle at all. That's democracy. And it has a place in the world system of things, but I'll just remark that it's called the miry clay. It's called the miry clay because there's no stability in it. And uh, while I'm very thankful to be living in a democracy in some ways, uh, it's not God's principle. All authority in the Word of God flows from above and down. And so the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, those delegates of the Lord Jesus Christ, those sent ones of Him, with His authority, appointed elders in every city. How about Titus, though? Didn't he do it? Yes. But if you ask Titus, where did you get that authority? He'd say, right here. Paul said here. I left you here in Crete to... uh, to appoint elders in every city. Why don't we have appointed elders? Because there's no provision for their appointment in the Word of God. I think one reason is that we now have the complete Word of God. But now is there nothing of the principle of oversight now let me just say this our time is really gone but i just want to cover this point again uh ecclesiastical obscurity takes a perfectly good greek word episcopos episcopos meaning one who looks over, telescope, periscope, scope the matter out, right? And epi is the adjective, or preposition rather, that is used. And so it's one who oversees the assembly. That's what episcopal or bishop, now don't ask me how we got to the word bishop, but if there is a way, I've watched, uh, I've watched a, a book on, I've read a book on, on how words change from one language to another, and it's easier to see in Spanish, it's obispo in Spanish, uh, but the basic word is episcopos, or overseer. That is the work the brother does. But an episkopos um, is also an elder. That's the person who does the work. And a presbyter is simply another word for elder. And so presbyters, presbytery, elders, bishop, It's all describing the same office, and there is no provision in the Scriptures for that to be done by any other than the Apostles or by a delegate of the Apostles. Now, brethren, I said before that authority flows down from above, and I believe that's why God did not provide for us to continue elders in that way by election or by appointment by someone. But Is there no work to be done? Yes. Oh, what an important work. But it's a local work, brethren. It's a local work. It needs to be done. The presiding over the assembly in the spiritual sense, the overseeing of the assembly is such an important principle, and I believe one of the most mischievous things that has happened. Thank God our brethren in Latin America are not quite so uh, democratically minded about this. They understand more of the principle of oversight in the assembly, and we ought to understand it because it's needed. We are not in a democracy, dear brethren, and God has qualified and raised up those who oversee the assembly, not novices. That's why, uh, let's go over and we'll finish with this verse in Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5. be good to read 1 Timothy chapter 3 also in regard to that by the way again I'm going to ask you please don't read that in just in the authorized version take the time to look at Mr. Darby's translation 1 Timothy 3 it isn't who is anybody desires the office of a bishop that's so ecclesiastical isn't it it says If anyone aspires to exercise oversight, he desires a good work. It's a needed work, brethren. But you aren't going to get an apostle tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you're it. You won't get that. And there'll be no Titus because he left behind no instructions. There's no Titus to come and say, Paul said to appoint elders and you're it. By the way, it's always plural in an assembly, too. It's never singular. Now, brethren, I know we're down to some assemblies where there's just one brother and he's everything that has to be done. And the Lord knows about that too. But in a larger assembly, there's the need for oversight. It's a good work and it needs to be done. It doesn't say if anybody desires to be a big deal. And lord it over the saints. It says, if anyone aspires to that work, he desires a good work. It's a good work, it needs to be done. Dear sheep of Christ need oversight, brethren. But how are we to accomplish that? 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. And notice now, Paul had only had this one visit with the brethren in Thessalonica. Every one of them were novices, so he couldn't tap anybody on the shoulder and say, after I go, you're the overseer. You and Harry are the overseers. He couldn't. Because it go right against what the instructions he gave, that they not be novices. Every one of them was a novice, weren't they? Well, now, is nothing to be done? No work to be done of oversight? Yes, look at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their badge. Is that what it says? No. No. For their work's sake. For their work's sake. So even in a brand new work, in a brand new assembly, there are those whom the Holy Spirit fits and exercises, and the Lord puts them in that place of oversight in the assembly. And what's our job? To give them a special title? Or a badge? Or a or uh, put them in a board, no, just know them and be subject to them and esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. And I'm sure that as you think about this little assembly, a brother or two come to mind, he's not perfect, he doesn't come up perfectly, none of us do, to the Qualifications in the Word of God for an elder, but I know him. He's, he's doing that work, and the saints recognize it. Dan and Cheryl probably know a man that I so much enjoy in that role down in Lima, Margarito Colquiz. Doesn't have a tremendous gift in the Word. Faithful brother. Well, he stands up and he looks around in the conference and he just kind of kind of takes and everything going on. He's doing that work. Does he have a badge? Is he known as Elder Cold Case? No. Bishop Colt No. But he does the work. I think he'd be the last one. He'd be horrified if you ever called him that. He's a bunch of humble brother. I enjoy him so much. And he does that work and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now let's let our mind go for just a moment to that person that you, in your mind, say, Boy, thats I know, there's that brother that the Lord has given that work in our assembly. And I, I recognize him. But he moves on down to San Diego. His job changes, and now he's down in San Diego. Does he walk in there and do that work right there? No. Mm -mm. The Holy Spirit made him an overseer here. And he may have all those wonderful qualities, but he doesn't know the saints in San Diego. He may eventually move into that responsibility. If he does, fine. But it is local. It's a local responsibility. Well... Can't get into gift, but I'll just mention that gift is exercised wherever men are. And the evangelist goes out and he brings them in. The pastor gathers them together and exhorts them. And the teacher instructs them. And if you want to see all three of them exercised in their divine order and without jealousy among them, look at Acts chapter 11 toward the end of the chapter. And you'll see a wonderful example of it.